Thank you for joining us for another episode of our SDBC podcast. One of our first episodes that we did actually during COVID, we talked about mental health. And this was one of our most listened to episodes, I think, to date. So we know that mental health is something that we have all thought about and struggled with or that we know someone who is currently grappling with a mental health challenge. And so we wanted to do more episodes like this that we know that our church family and listeners are so interested in and is such a real part of their lives. So today we have a very special guest. Her name is Chelsea Conran. And Chelsea is a certified Canadian counselor or a CCC. As well, she is a very good family friend of mine that I have known for years. I've actually known her husband since I was born. So it's a very special connection that we have. Um, She counsels locally for individuals, families, couples, and for children. And in her sessions, some of her areas of specialization are depression, anxiety, stress management, life transitions, and helping people process adverse experiences in their past. So we could dig into any of those things that I mentioned, but today our episode, we're going to focus on anxiety. So Chelsea, thank you for joining us. And to start us off, why don't you share a little bit with our listeners about what got you interested in being a counselor in the first place? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for having us. Me. Thanks for having (laughs) all of me, all of my parts of me. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here today. Amazing. um, Yeah, it's it's been a really interesting and special journey, I think, becoming a counselor. Um, but when I look back, I know I've always been really interested in mental health. Um, kind of one of those typical people in my family, too, that was like the one that everybody comes mm. to. And I think that's a really common story as I talk to people who like want to be a counselor or uh, who are counselors. It's like, oh, yeah, all my friends and different people in my family, they come to me, they talk to me. And um, so there was definitely kind of that role going on. But um Growing up, I actually had a really good family friend um, who struggled with very complex mental health. So she had a dissociative identity disorder Mm -hmm. diagnosis. And so very, very complex trauma from the time of Mm -hmm. she was born. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was just fascinating to me. And she was always, you know, in counseling, in therapy throughout my life and sort of working with different components of what that looked like. I mean, she struggled with like an eating disorder and self-harm behavior and, um, you know, anxiety and Mm. severe depression and sort of all of those, all of those pieces in one. Um, and I think the thing that fascinated me the most was like wondering what happens in the counseling room, Mm -hmm. like behind those closed doors, this like confidential space where somebody goes to like be vulnerable and to find healing. Mm. Like I literally was so fascinated. What does healing Mm. look like? Mm -hmm. What does that actually mean Um, on a spiritual sense and in a mental health sense? And so uh, it was just always really interested in kind of knowing what that looked like and and helping people with that and Mm -hmm. just feeling like a, like there was a passion in me kind of um, that sparked from a really young age. So that's so cool. We talk about all the time, even in church ministry, how people's stories are such a powerful and beautiful motivator for so many things that we do, whether it's a sermon illustration or even the stories of the Bible, but how, how knowing someone and knowing someone's story is such a a beautiful glimpse into a life that then inspires you and challenges you. So Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that. Um, But what we mostly want to focus on today is anxiety. And so before we get into some of the meatier details, why don't we start by kind of jumping into it, defining it and explaining it a little bit. And Paul, before we started 
the podcast, he asked you a question, so I'm going to ask it to you again because <laughs> sure. I thought it was fantastic. But what are some differences that we see uh, between experiencing anxiety? Because I know lots of people that's in their normal vernacular just saying I'm feeling anxious, socially anxious, different things like that. But what is the difference between experiencing some anxiety versus having an anxiety disorder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a good question. And like we could we could talk for hours on anxiety because it's such mm-hmm. a broad, mm-hmm. huge topic. And it mm-hmm. does. It affects every single human being mm-hmm. on the planet. I think mm-hmm. it's a normal part of our experience in a way. Um, and, and even when we talk about like categorizing it or labeling it, there's lots of different ways I think we could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so often we'll turn to like the DSM, which is the sort of clinical standard mm-hmm. for diagnosing disorders. And um, that's the Diagnostic and Statistical <laughs> Manual of... Right? I remember okay. that from Psych you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which sometimes it can be really helpful and some yeah. other times it isn't. Mm. Um, but I think one of the key pieces there between whether or not like a doctor would diagnose you with, a, with an mm. anxiety disorder is mm. um, whether or not it's impacting your ability to function in different areas of your life. So that might be like in school or in your job or in your relationships socially or in your family. Is it getting in the way hmm. in a sort of clinically significant way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's what we often look at. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, I think some of the challenges of um, our society not understanding fully what anxiety is, is um, I see it in many different aspects, but accommodations, like workplace accommodations is an area that I see it in a lot. Um, like a broken finger is very, not very easy, but it's somewhat more obvious to accommodate a broken finger or a person who can't uh, walk up up and down the stairs because they have a knee injury, then it's like, okay, well, we have to bring your office downstairs or something like that, right? Uh, but with the mental health um, accommodation, mm-hmm. sometimes the accommodation is not as obvious. Mm-hmm. And if not well communicated, um, like the employer cannot read minds or uh, fully understand. And we're not, like for, for me and my friends who are CEOs, we're not all trained in uh, what you're trained in. So mm-hmm. we may not know what is actually even helpful and what's not helpful. Um, so I found that even as an employer myself, but also other CEOs that I talk to, the workplace accommodation is is a tricky part of mm-hmm. us not having the awareness or the understanding or the education on mm-hmm. what anxiety is. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the context of like, I heard a recent statistic, I don't know if it's American or Canadian, st- <clears throat> excuse me, Canadian stats, but um, they were saying that uh, we use more sick days now in Canada. I think it was Canada. Um, for mental health um, related reasons than any other illness um, for, for to, just to take a sick day. Wow. So, and, and I, I don't doubt that because I see it everywhere too. Um, so I think it's just helpful for us to understand in general. What, what is that? And even for you to say that um, us experiencing anxiety is one thing, but if an employee comes in and says, hey, I've been diagnosed with uh, anxiety disorder, and you mentioned that there's different kinds of anxiety disorders as well, um, it's difficult sometimes, I think, and some employers, I found that they just go in, oh, you're just worried. Mm-hmm. Okay, just take a day off and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not recognizing, like you said, it's a disorder because it actually spans across all levels of function. And Yeah, yeah, or or even just a specific area of functioning, yeah. right? But it's, it's interfering with that functioning. Yeah. And also someone who has okay. sort of a pronounced disorder or anxiety disorder would really struggle to manage that anxiety. Like we're, you know, it's not just something that's like, oh, it's going on in the background, but I can kind of work through it. It's like, no, this is, it's so blatant that I'm really struggling to cope at this time Mm -hmm. with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what we're all kind of touching on is our cultural and societal comfort level, I guess, with being Mm -hmm. willing to address 
these different things. Mm -hmm. And so I know we were also talking and prepping beforehand for this podcast and talking about how important being curious about our anxiety mm. is and how that, that that in itself is a tool that we can use to further understand it. Because I think historically it's been so different. I think it's been either something that we're just really in denial of, like anxiety doesn't exist, or that you need to push through it or quote unquote man up or suck mm. it up or just mm. move through it. And so, yeah, maybe talk to us a little bit more about this idea of being curious about the anxiety rather than denying it or running from it or hiding from it. Yeah. Well, I think if I could chat a little bit more about the ways that we hide yes, from it too, yes. and then oh, we'll get into I, yes, that. Cause please, like, please. have you ever had like, you know, you, you share with a friend or somebody like, Oh, I'm feeling really anxious about this or, or I'm really nervous that, you know, I'm not going to get this job that I applied yeah. for, or I'm too nervous to even like apply for the job because mm -hmm. I'm scared of failure. And mm -hmm. your friend says to you like, Oh, don't worry about it. <clears throat> mm -hmm. yeah. It's fine. Yeah. You know, not if the you, most comforting. yeah, if you don't get it, you know, you can yeah. apply for another job or, um, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen. Right. And so I think that even illustrates our ways culturally mm -hmm. that we approach emotions in general, but you know, anxiety specific yeah. specifically is like, we, we try to fix it. We minimize it. Mm -hmm. We say, Oh, it's not a big deal. So yeah, we're minimizing it. We're pushing it away. We're not comfortable, um, just allowing that to be right. Mm -hmm. We're not comfortable just saying like, Hey, yeah, that makes sense that you're that you might be feeling that way, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we do that to ourselves internally too, which is, I think, a huge barrier to even yeah. accessing supports is mm -hmm. like we might have a really strong part inside that's criticizing ourselves for yeah. feeling that way. Like, oh, I can't believe you're still struggling with that. Like, why do you worry so much about what other people think of you? It's not a big deal. Like, mm -hmm. you know, um, or we're criticizing ourselves because <laughs> like, mm -hmm. we are worried about yeah. what other people are thinking about <laughs> us or whatever that is, but... Yeah, we do that internally, and we also see that in our relationships with the way we we manage, mm -hmm. you know. Um, or, yeah, try to rationalize it. Like, oh, that's not logical, right? Yeah. But our feelings are not, they're not actually fixed with logic because mm -hmm. they're a totally different thing. Yeah. Um, so that's where being curious, I think, comes mm -hmm. in is, like, let's start to recognize the way internally that we are approaching our anxiety, mm -hmm. whatever it is that we might be anxious about. Are you trying to just avoid it? Just mm -hmm. don't think about it. Are you trying to like sort of logic or reason your way through it? And like having that internal conversation, negotiating with yourself, like, oh, just, you know, it's really not, it's very unlikely that that bad thing really is going to happen. So you should stop feeling that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's another way, right. Um, how are we dealing with it? And then if we can recognize that, then I think we can, almost ask that part of ourselves, like just acknowledge like, okay, that's how I'm trying to manage. Like, actually that's amazing mm -hmm. that I'm trying to cope with this maybe overwhelming mm -hmm. feeling in that way. That part of me that's doing that is really trying to be helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but as we sort of ask that part to step back or like give some space, open up some space just to get curious about like, what mm -hmm. am I actually feeling? And without trying to judge it or criticize it or minimize it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what happens is we often get really afraid of going close into that anxiety, but, um, but we can do that. And that's something that I do with people a yeah. lot in therapy is just help build their tolerance of sitting with these feelings. Mm -hmm. And when we start to listen, we can learn a lot about why we're feeling anxious. Like yeah. just imagine a good friend sitting down beside you and saying like, just tell me how, just mm -hmm. tell me what this is yeah. about. Like everything is okay. There's no wrong answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like what might start to spill out. Right? Yeah. And, and you're going to get to the root of that. 
and when you feel safe and in a comfortable space. And we can do that with ourselves, right? We can do that internally and start mm-hmm. to bring, you know, compassion just to whatever it is that's there, whether it makes sense or not, whether it's from 40 years ago mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. whether it's about the future or the past, it doesn't matter. Um, just listening, right? Um, hmm. That's a really key piece, just like listening to what is happening there and just providing ourselves that comfort and that understanding of like, okay, well, if that's why you're anxious, because, you know, that's triggering an event that happened when you were 10 years old, mm-hmm. where you were like, you know, socially shamed in like a mm-hmm. really awful way. Like, yeah, that would make sense that that part of you is really still feeling that, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah. I think brings us into like talking about how the the body we were, you know, yeah, chatting yeah, a bit yeah. about that, you know, yeah. that yeah. can connect in here. But yeah. um, I, I think yeah. socially too, like you're, you're saying, like, even we do it to ourselves, like shaming almost ourselves mm-hmm. into saying, Hey, you can't feel that way or that's not right. Um, I think socially we do this and we've talked about for, I think the last decade or so, I think we've been talking about the stigma, the stigma of going to see a counselor. Mm-hmm. And I think we've gone, we've, we've improved a lot is what I sense mm-hmm. um, as a society here in, in, in the area that we live in. Um, I think one of the things I've experienced was um, like uh, a friend of mine who is a very mature Christian, a very mature person for the age. And um, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go see a counselor. I'm like, oh, is anything wrong was kind of my first thought. Mm-hmm. And I guess he sensed it. So he's like, oh, yeah, everything's great, but it could be better. So mm-hmm. I'm working on a few things. And he was just not ashamed. And he was very matter of fact about it and and um, just kind of wanted to make sure people talk about it normally. So he kind of led the charge, at least in in the sphere of influence that he has. I thought that was interesting. That was about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, I thought even in our church, I think we're doing much better. Not not all the way there, but much better. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I, I was trained in um, intercultural development. Um, so how how you grow as a person who can interact with different people from different cultures. And they use these kind of steps. They go, um, your first level is like a denial. Oh, we're all the same, right? Hmm. Um, and I think with mental health, it's kind of similar, I find. It's like there's a level of denial. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. there's the other part where it goes to minimization. Oh, yeah, sure, you might be different or you might have this disor- disorder, but, you know, but let's just move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's let's not, not that keep, big of a deal. Let's not keep talking yeah. about it. <laughs> and then there's the polarization stage where, where you either, I'm going to be the per- um, perfect advocate for this because this is all I'm going to talk about now, or, oh, this is just a load of crap, like we don't need to do this. Um, people get really angry and fired up on either side mm-hmm. of the issue, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the acceptance where you start to accept, okay, this is a real thing, and my friends, my colleagues, and, um, and maybe myself, um, I'm struggling with this. And then there's the last stage of adaptation where mm-hmm. it's actually you learn how to adapt and learn to uh, appreciate the other and speak their language and help them speak my language so we can actually communicate well. And I feel like in mental health, our society is going through that stage right now. Yeah. I think we were in denial as a society for quite a while, mm. but I do think we're moving into, And but I think some people, I see that they're in the minimization stage. Hey, I get there's this thing called mental health, this thing called mm-hmm. anxiety, but I don't know what to do with it, so it's uncomfortable for me. Let's just move on. Totally. Yeah. And then I think some of us are in the more polarization. This is all I want to talk about. Or yeah. or like, oh, man, you're just making everyone fragile and this isn't contributing. Mm-hmm. So, like, people getting quite worked up yeah. <laughs> around the issue. Yep. Um, I don't think we as a society have reached the levels of acceptance and um, adaptation quite yet. That's at least my mm-hmm. perspective. But I think we're moving. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, that's all I ask for, for myself and for our church and for mm-hmm. our community, that we continue to learn and grow. So this is yeah. one of the purposes of this episode, mm-hmm. that we have a conversation that helps us to learn and grow. And I also 
feel like to a certain extent too, mental health in some ways, some people make it out to seem like it's a generational issue Mm -hmm. rather than a human Mm -hmm. issue Mm -hmm. just because, um, generationally we've dealt dealt with it in different ways and had have had different generational traumas like whether it be a war or a recession or different things like that but i think that we're kind of turning a corner and realizing that no no no, this is actually a human issue um and so for me i talk openly as well about how i love my counselor and i go to counseling (laughs) um and it was actually chelsea who helped me find this counselor so another little connection there she's lovely (laughs) um but I um, kind of prided myself in going to counseling, but not for anxiety. I was going for other reasons. And I was like, oh, I'm not an anxious person. (laughs) Um, Turns out I am. Plot twist there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was my counselor who helped me realize that it's not necessarily an an inherently negative thing. In fact, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's our, Mm -hmm. it's a way that our brain and our body helps cope with what's going on. So Mm -hmm. I, something that was really helpful for me with anxiety was reframing and not necessarily thinking of it as a shameful negative thing that I was experiencing and have to fix, but maybe it's like a little warning sign that is helping me realize the underlying issues. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what you've been talking about. That's Mm -hmm. what we're going to talk more about it. But yeah, I just wanted to share my personal story of this because I think, um, that we all deal with it to a certain extent. And I think a lot of us still carry shame over even acknowledging that we experience anxiety and it looks Mm -hmm. so different. There's some people who experience it socially. Mine, it's always usually relationally driven, Mm -hmm. whether it's me just overreacting, like a text that I sent or a relationship that seems like it's on the rocks. And what did I do? And how can I fix it? And will this person still like me? And all the anxiety, Mm -hmm. anxiety that happens and rejection Mm -hmm. around there. Yeah. And it's really interesting because this will lead us into our next topic, but um, the more I stress and the more that I'm anxious, the more physically unwell I feel. And I get Mm -hmm. stomach aches around it, but I also get a lot of headaches and I Mm -hmm. um, carry a lot of tension. And I think, and so I'm reading this book right now called Body Keeps Score, which I think a lot of us in our society and um, culture are reading. It's by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. And it talks about this fascinating idea that our physical bodies actually feel and keep a record in a way of our mental health. Um, and I know this is something that you're super interested in and passionate, passionate about. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, talk to us about that, how anxiety is almost like a body memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which can be true of a lot of different emotions that we feel yeah. when we are experiencing mm-hmm. like something negative, overwhelming and unexpected. Right. So that adverse experience or, or traumatic experience. Right. Um, what happens is our, our brain actually processes those experiences in a different way mm. than just like your average like interaction with your you know grocery clerk at the grocery store, right? Mm. That just kind of gets filed away in the little filing cabinet of like normal experiences that we have. Mm. But when we go through something that is negative, overwhelming, unexpected, the body like remembers it in a way, right? Mm. Like, um, and I think what becomes so difficult and so confusing for people is that it does become the the memory is a sensation Mm -hmm. it's a sensation in your body and that sensation that memory can be Mm re-triggered in a future experience Mm -hmm. so if you had you know a really bad relational experience where like a friend just like dropped you or rejected you with Mm -hmm. no apparent reason or whatever um then maybe you know the next situation comes up where like a friend doesn't text you back right away Mm -hmm. And your brain, your protective brain is going, wait a minute, that feels a little bit like what happened back there. It's not necessarily like thinking about that consciously, but 
your your survival brain detects a potential threat and your body begins to re-experience that mm-hmm. sensation mm-hmm. from that when you experience yeah. the, you know, negative experience yeah, it's before. It's like a warning sign. Hey, you might be rejected again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But our brain doesn't usually, unless we've like been to counseling or done some good reading or something, mm-hmm. is like we don't actually realize that that sensation is a memory. Yeah. Mm. So we think, oh my goodness, this is a huge deal because yeah. we're re-experiencing this to the same degree of intensity often, yeah. the past, and our brain thinks it's about the yeah. present. So our brain's going, this is a massive deal that yeah. this person didn't raising me back. all the alarms, oh my, raising yeah. all the alarms yeah. when really that's actually maybe I usually I often ask people the percentage question of like, mm. OK, like what percentage do you think that this is about the actual situation right now? And what percentage might be about the past situation Interesting. or situations? And, mm. you know, sometimes it's like a 90, 10, mm. like mm-hmm. when I really sit with it, it's like most of it I'm re-experiencing mm-hmm. from the past and yeah. some of it, yeah, is about the present because maybe yeah. it's a little uncomfortable or whatever, but it's not life-threatening. It's mm-hmm. not as big of a deal as it was when that yeah. thing first happened to me, right? Do your clients tend to be able to realize that right away? Like when you bring it up for them or share this with them, do they, um, is it easy for them to connect back to the initial thing or does that often take a lot of work and uncovering to figure it out? I think it's a spectrum. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think some people, yeah. some people connect in pretty easily when you start to talk mm-hmm. about that or like have somebody maybe focus into their bodies. Like that's an exercise that a lot of counselors will commonly yeah. do is like, okay, let's just notice it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want you to sit with it and notice mm-hmm. that sensation in your stomach or that headache that you're feeling yeah. and see what comes up around that. Right. So that's actually us helping you get curious about it. And mm-hmm. that's where we can then learn, like, you know, is this connected to the past or yeah. the present? But if somebody's been heavily avoiding that because that's just too scary yeah. and too overwhelming, what's going to pop up first is that part. That wants yeah. to avoid it. Yeah. Well, and they'll start talking about something else. Mm-hmm. They, you know, their their mother in law that's really yeah. annoying them, yeah. or whatever it yeah. is. They got um, very good at yeah, yeah. yeah coping. Yeah. yeah. So, however they're coping with it, those are the things that pop up in mm. session. And so, then my job is to help be a detector for that. I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm I'm noticing that there's yeah. a part that yeah. just maybe doesn't want to go there, and like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, we can start to get curious about that. So that's what we'll do. Is like, yeah. I just picture myself like backing off and going, okay, there's a level of protection here against whatever that anxiety is it's Mm. too scary or there's a fear around going there so i'm going to back off and just get to know what that protective part is and why that part's there because there's a good reason that that part's there too right Mm. so i I just yeah i think it makes sense logically again i know that it's not always done by logic (laughs) um, for these things but logically it kind of makes sense because like when you say our body actually keeps memories and sensations together bundled up um it actually makes sense because our brains do that with other things like if i smell hot chocolate I'm going to know what it is, and it's going to give me an immediate um, sense of, oh, I want it, <laughs> in my case at least. Um, so I, I, we know that brain could do that, right? Yeah. A, a sense and a memory and a result all in like not even a millisecond. Mm-hmm. I can just, boom, I can mm-hmm. feel it. Totally. I don't have to process it, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. So to be able to do that not just with food but for traumas yeah. and for um, events that we don't want to ever relive. Yeah. I, I think it, it, on a logical basis, I think it makes sense for a lot of people when we read these things and stuff. But I also think not many people know this. Yeah. Um, I've only found this out just the last couple of years as mm-hmm. I walk through a person that's um, going through some extreme PTSD and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been starting to read the book with them. So um, the body keeps the score. Um, so that's kind of where I first heard about the book and I started mm-hmm. reading and that's when I started to first engage with. And then I was like, oh, wow, a lot of this really makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But I think there's just a lack of awareness in general about it. 
Um, so I'm glad we're having this conversation. Perhaps readers or, or not readers, <laughs> listeners, if you're if you're fascinated about this and if you're like, oh, man, I want to dig in deeper. Like it's everywhere. You can buy it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But also it's there's other resources out yeah. there. Yeah. This book yeah. has been a huge part of my journey, too, because actually the reason I started going to counseling this recent time with my new counselor is because I had had sort of a traumatic experience. And in that experience, there's a, there was this p- particular sound I couldn't get out of my head. And mm. I was sitting at my mm-hmm. desk one day at work, and I heard something that sounded like this sound. And before I even registered what was happening or anything, like Paul said, in a millisecond, my heart started to race and my palms started to sweat, and I just started to freak out. Yeah. And it had been months since the situation, and it was not the sound. It was just a random office sound. But I remember sitting there being like, okay, something is clearly not right Mm -hmm. if this is just happening to me randomly. And then, yeah, then it was my counselor who was talking to me about this concept, and it's fascinating. And it starts to make a lot of sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. But if you're you're not educated on it, you feel crazy. Oh, yeah. And people, and like you were saying, Paul, like all those connections in our brain, and so it can be a physical body sensation, but it could also be the tone of somebody's voice. Yes. Or somebody looking at you in a certain way, or a color, or a smell, and all of these things can trigger like a re-experiencing of Mm -hmm. that negative event. And you might, and you might immediately be aware of it, and you might not. So if it's an immediate memory that flashes back, like with actually with PTSD, we have all kinds of different flashbacks too. But sometimes these, the flashback might be an actual what we call episodic memory. So an episodic Mm -hmm. memory for those that don't know is like Mm -hmm. one where I can say maybe see it in my brain or remember the actual time like I can remember the last time I had ice cream and what flavor it was and I can think about that that's an episodic memory um versus like an implicit memory which is something that I don't necessarily have the like um you know like the right the visual image of but it's a memory in the body or yeah it's an auditory memory or Mm -hmm. so there's all kinds of different ways that that sort of traumatic experience can sort of get stuck in our Mm -hmm. experience and then re-trigger because our brain, yeah, is always on the lookout for threat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even in my like kind of more spiritual counseling, because I'm not a trained counselor. So I obviously, whenever someone wants to see me about some of the things that's happened to them, even in the past or just currently, I always kind of say, hey, this is spiritual counseling. I want to help you biblically walk through whatever you're going through. Um, But when I detect that there is a layer of past traumas that are um, that need to be kind of uh, investigated and worked on, I always kind of refer them to a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I, and it's, it's, it's funny because they go like, they see a couch in my office and they go like, <laughs> do you want me to lie down here? Because it's a long couch. <laughs> totally. And, Common and, reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and then they kind of go like, oh, of course you're going to talk about my past and ask me about like, how did you experience it when you were growing up? But the challenge is, I've asked you before, but like a lot of this does go back to years ago. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of us are good at running away or hiding it under a rug or whatever metaphor we want to use. And I do sense that, oh, wow, like even doing counseling, like marital counseling or whatever, relational counseling, I notice that a lot. And I do um, refer people and say, hey, I think this will be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I found it helpful. I've I've had other people that experienced it and found it helpful. I think it'll just help you process these things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it'll be a good 
useful resource for you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's getting easier now than when it was like 10 years ago, per se, to try to convince people to seek that out. That's cool. uh, but there's another challenge. We won't talk about this too much, but like shortage of um, access to counseling is sometimes yeah. a hard thing. That is a big challenge. Yeah. A lot of people I try to refer, like, because I'm super booked yeah. or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, send them to this person or yeah. this person. Or, and a lot of people are running wait lists yeah. and things like that. Yeah, yeah that is but, hard. But I have a question. You've mm-hmm. mentioned this like four times already. You, you <laughs> use the word part. Uh, as you opened, I, I picked up on, oh, all parts of me. Yeah. And you're using the words parts. I've read in the book as well about some, some stuff about the parts. Yeah. So can you go, like, maybe don't geek out too much so we spend the rest of the episode on this. <laughs> Which but I could. I know, I know. <laughs> we love that. Because it is, it is very complex. I don't fully yet understand it, although I've been interacting with it for quite a bit now. Hmm. But can you explain to the person who may have never heard of that? Um, because we might just think, oh, you're just saying a part of me. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually a very technical thing you're talking hmm. about too, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is a natural part of our language. Like mm-hmm. if you start to listen to people's just talking about themselves, like, yeah. oh, there is a part of me that, you know, really wants to yeah. do that or like a part of me that really wants to reach for that second yeah. donut. But there's a part of me saying, <laughs> mm, no, you shouldn't do that. You, didn't, you know, you can go to the gym today or your jeans are feeling a little tight or right. That so part always loses in my case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> part's not strong enough. <laughs> so these internal conversations yes. are actually happening all the time. Yeah. Um, and what we found, so I, I could totally geek out. One of the, the main sort of modalities that we understand people mm-hmm. is, um, comes from the, type of therapy called internal family systems. So if anyone wants to look into that the more, IFS, right? IFS yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, IFS, IFS-institute.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there really is like over the many, many years that people have been researching trauma that, you know, therapists have been working with people and, and realizing like, okay, these parts are not just like things that sort of come and go. They're actually different parts of us. And, mm-hmm. and I think tying it in, cause I know a lot of our listeners maybe coming from a Christian lens, like tying it into, to the Christian faith, like God is a triune God, right? God himself, three in one, Mm -hmm. like has different parts. And these Mm -hmm. parts have different functions, different, um, you know, names, ways that we can experience them. And so why wouldn't God have made us to have different, Mm -hmm. like to be Mm -hmm. almost like multiple inside? Um, And so it's one of my greatest joys in life to get to know my own parts, but also to help people understand that these are actual real parts of you that can all can feel all different feelings. So it's not just like the angry part of me, mm-hmm. the anxious part of me, the happy part of me. No, yeah. like the part of you f- that may be feeling anxious also has the capacity to feel joy, mm-hmm. you know, in the right circumstance. Mm-hmm. Also might feel angry about different things, has different beliefs mm-hmm. and opinions on specific things in your life. Like if you've ever felt internally divided with different, right, those are two different mm-hmm. parts of you with two different, maybe opposing mm-hmm. belief systems. And through through counseling, through, re- you know, doing some reading and sort of self-searching, you can actually get to know those parts and build a relationship Mm -hmm. um, from what we, you know, might define as like our core Mm -hmm. self Mm -hmm. um, or our spirit, maybe like where we can actually feel curious, Mm -hmm. compassionate, um, courageous, calm, creative. There's all these sort of um, qualities that I think that everybody actually has inside of them that Mm -hmm. when the parts of us can create some space actually is there Mm -hmm. and we can, you know, freely offer and get to know and actually build a relationship with ourselves that feels so positive and so loving, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of work like that. So when, um, I've seen people when, um, when, when they experience the sense, like you said earlier, body memory, that is 
triggering a, either a flashback or um, just a trauma and the associated senses with it, then sometimes I heard that the parts, from what I understand, the parts could come and start speaking up much more loudly than in other part, in other, you know, times of your life, hmm. and actually try to stop you from experiencing the same pain or shame that that you initially had in the original moment of that trauma. Yeah, exactly. So then it gets complex because sometimes this one part of me um, takes over almost mm-hmm. and starts to drive drive like uh, my reaction. Drive the car, yeah. drive yeah. the ship, yeah. yeah. And so that's where, like, even tying back to our discussion at the beginning of, like, how are we managing that anxiety mm-hmm. through minimizing or through... Mm-hmm. Um, that's a protective part as well with a certain job. And yeah, yeah, the part raising the alarm is also like maybe feeling the anxiety is also a protective part. We've kind of been using that Mm -hmm. language as well of going like something, something bad, you know, happened. I don't want that to happen again. And yeah, that is, that's a, that's a protective part that doesn't want you to re-experience, you know, what we would call um, like an exiled part or a vulnerable part that maybe in the initial experience felt shame. Yeah. Um, yeah, or Hmm. rejection, right? Um, And however we coped with it at the time, like it's very, I want to be really encouraging to people because like the the way that we're managing it or trying to avoid it or numb it out, it's not bad. It's like Mm -hmm. however you dealt with it at the time that that thing maybe in your childhood happened, that was exactly how you needed to. That was the only way that you you had available to you, right? So to move forward. So a lot of times it is blocking it out. Literally, like we call it dissociation, yeah. where we just kind of like mm. pop it over there, don't yeah. think about it, avoid it, you know, maybe shut off the feelings yeah. totally. And that's one of the earliest forms of survival or yeah. coping. And so that is not bad, but that part isn't going to stop dissociating yeah. until whatever that negative experience, mm. uh, you know, that happened to you has been released usually or like yeah. brought, you know, some healing into that. Yeah. And then the way you're trying to protect from it can be freed up to do yeah. something else, have a different role that actually feels more adaptive yeah. to your functioning. Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I think um, some people who have experienced extreme abuse, like sexual abuse, um, I've often seen that they block it out completely from mm-hmm. their memory even. Totally. And like you said, that was the only way at that young age of, um, you know, you should have never experienced something like that in the first place. But again, tying it back to our, our faith, um, be, being in a broken world, when we experience levels of brokenness like that, I think our bodies just kind of take over, shut it down, and then um, help the person move forward, or else yeah. you would never be able to move forward. No. And that's our design. We were designed. The brain was mm-hmm. actually designed to survive and to mm-hmm. cope with really awful things. And yes, we see it coming out later. And I mean, what hop- what happens um, a lot is, you know, you see somebody coming into therapy in their like maybe late 20s or mm-hmm. early 30s, and they're going... You know, suddenly my life's falling apart, but I'm actually the most stable I've ever been. I'm married. I have a kid. I have a good job. You know, my husband is supportive. And I don't understand why I'm experiencing all this anxiety or all of this, you know, physical pain maybe or, you know, and it's like, well, actually what happens is, okay, we stuff it all over there, but our brain can bring it up again because it wants that healing. We want to process it. Finally, you're ready. And you're ready now. Exactly. And so that can feel so disorienting for people. And I think when we start to bring some of that education, it's like, oh, okay, my brain actually is just trying to bring healing now, you know, um, because I can, I'm in a safe space now. So now I can start to process. Yeah. I think when when I had my two children, I know you you have children as well. I have one. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I found being in the room, obviously very different experience than you, me 
being in the room and you giving birth is obviously totally different. <laughs> but, but even just being in the room, I always tell people those two moments in my life are probably the most powerful moments I've ever experienced. Because as a believer in God and God's creation, I go like, this is like the most um, tangible experience for me to say God is so real and he is such a good creator. Mm-hmm. Because like, how do you, how else do you explain what just happened, right? It's just so miraculous. Do you, yeah, it is. It is. It simply is miraculous. And um, and another thing I'm doing now is understanding a little bit more about mental health and and our brain and our way to survive and move forward. It's like, wow, how intricately God has created us to be able to deal with some of the brokenness and find healing. Like that timing mm-hmm. of now, 30 years later, mm-hmm. now that I'm in a safe place. I can bring some of those things back up and um, find real healing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, wow, like how did God create our bodies to be so good? Yeah. Um, and sometimes we, we we look upon it with shame mm-hmm. rather than seeing it for the beauty that it is. Yeah, an opportunity yeah. to heal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and it's understandable that we have those reactions because sometimes that, that sort of trauma can re- resurface in mm-hmm. a very, very uncomfortable way, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know? And can be really overwhelming and scary for mm-hmm. people. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, but it, it really can be an opportunity to get curious yes. and to go, okay, yes. you know what? This isn't, this doesn't need to end me. This yeah. is, this is actually, you know, a, a, a turning point, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Where I can yeah. begin to mm-hmm. grow and where that stuff, even though it might've been in a box down there, it actually yeah. still was affecting me because yeah. I was continuing to like maybe numb out from my life and not not being able to experience joy because that protective part of me just said, well, that was terrible. Don't feel that again. But I usually say to people like our protective parts aren't selective. (laughs) They just, if, if we're blocking out that feeling, we're probably blocking out all feelings. Mm. Um, So there's so many opportunities when we start to like peel back these layers to actually like for the first time, even experience connection, joy, compassion, satisfaction within us. Right. Like, Yeah. So with all of that being said, just getting a little bit more practical and functional for our listeners, mm-hmm. but maybe this podcast has helped them see, oh, maybe I, I do have some anxiety or I have had a memory like that or different things like that. But other than being curious, what are some other uh, steps or tricks or uh, modalities do you have for uh, recognizing and training ourselves to recognize anxiety? Yeah. Other than getting curious. I mean, that's just the start, I think. Right. That just opens up the the field of Mm -hmm. like, okay, what is this really about? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think the next piece is really bringing in compassion Mm -hmm. and understanding. And um, when we're working with parts in therapy, you know, we do a process called within the IFS model, a process called witnessing, Mm -hmm. where we just let really let that part sort of share all the things that it's holding on to until they feel fully, fully understood. And mm-hmm. we check back a lot of like, is there anything else you need us to know? Mm. You know, um, and people can, they can listen inside to their parts. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but so feeling understood hmm. fully and deeply understood and connected with is actually such a huge step. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself can be so transformative and just to feel loved and accepted exactly how you are, whether that's a hurt part of us or just, you know, ourselves in relationship with somebody else. Like, mm-hmm. um, that is so transformative and healing. I think a lot of people like bring, say, their kids into therapy and say, like, there's something wrong with them. You need to change them. Right. <laughs> They're doing this behavior. I don't like it. You know, let's fix it. And it feels so counterintuitive to the parent. But it's like, OK, we actually need to begin by just 
accepting that child, however they're presenting, exactly as they are and letting them feel completely seen and completely cared Mm -hmm. for and okay, even in their brokenness, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's what actually facilitates change. And I think that's really cool because we can tie that in theologically to like Mm -hmm. how God meets us. And a lot of people have maybe preconceived notions of God as like judging them or like not seeing them as enough or, you know, but like actually God like meets us Mm -hmm. he reached out to us in our brokenness and went like i love you and i want to connect with you exactly as you are right so and there's so much healing in that and by being connected to him that's when our growth actually really um comes to fruition right Mm -hmm. um i I always ask counselors these this question because i i still don't know fully how to do it um but when we support people going through anxiety um disorder Right. And, and to a point where it's become so prominent in their lives that really they're struggling to function mm-hmm. right at the workplace or socially as well. How do we support them in the sense that when is pushing too much, too much? Yeah, good mm. And when is just letting people never try anything and never do anything anymore? Mm. Kind of just allowing them to just further um harming themselves, I guess, in, yeah. in a way. Like, how do, because I always find it hard. Like, okay, this person's going through anxiety. I don't want to push them to make them even more anxious and like push them away from me. But I also don't want to completely leave them and just say, hey, yeah, don't ever try any of these things ever again. Exactly. And let them just kind of live a life of, of being paralyzed for Avoiding, the Avoiding, continuing yeah. to avoid it. So, like, what's the, what's your answer? I've heard <laughs> a couple answers from my couple other counselors, but. I'd love to hear what they say. Yeah. <laughs> I've said to you. I mean, I think just even hearing you talk, I hear, and I loved, by the way, I loved those phases that you, you know, made parallels mm-hmm. between um, sort of that intercultural yeah. piece and our societal yeah. connection with mental health. I think that's right in that polarization phase mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. how do I deal with that? Yeah. Do I, you know, what if I push too hard or yeah. what if I don't push at all? And yeah. like, those are two opposite extremes and neither of which are, I I think are helpful. Right. Um, I do think societally we fall a lot these days into going, Oh, he's, he's having a negative feeling. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't need to do that. Yeah. Right. Let's just, we'll just let them off easy. And I don't think that does people a service either. Right. So yeah. Um, by the way, that comes out in literacy because I'm an English, I used to be an English teacher. Um, we don't ask people to read aloud anymore because of anxiety and therefore (laughs) we can't read aloud anymore. (laughs) Um, so in our community group and in my settings, I ask people to read. I give everyone an opportunity to pass, um, mm-hmm. even if it's mm-hmm. because you didn't re- bring glasses or whatever reason. It doesn't matter. Any yeah. reason is acceptable to me. Um, but I also encourage them to try, and none of us are going to judge. None of us are going to be impatient with you. Um, yeah. Try to create a safe place for them. And then eventually, um, most times, they do. Yeah. Um, but that's one small example. Mm-hmm. But that's a beautiful parallel, though. Like yeah. I think that some of the key elements that you named there are... like um, a sense of agency Mm -hmm. so the person has an option it's Mm -hmm. like it's okay to say no we encourage you to say yes but you can say no for whatever reason that is and we're not going to judge you so then you know the next piece is like safety yeah non-judgment and actually a sense of like you're okay here right it's okay to it's okay to try it's okay to not try it's okay to try and fail yeah Mm. all of those options are okay yeah um and we can't have any of that without connection and relationship mm, right and yes. so i think that kind of brings you to that final phase yeah. that you mentioned is yeah. like really being connected and like connected with that employee like helping them feel like you're on their team mm. you know you are advocating for mm. their growth mm. um you're not gonna let them off the hook but you're also not going to be their taskmaster yeah. right yeah. um 
I do think that inside of each of us, like we, we want to thrive. We naturally do want to push ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to grow. Right. Mm -hmm. And usually it's, it's other things that are like inhibiting that what's getting in the way. Right. Mm -hmm. That's such a big question. Mm -hmm. Is it my internal critic? That's actually that critical part wants me to grow. Usually when we start to get to know these protective parts, it's like, that part actually wants to push you forward, but it's pushing you forward. It's trying to push you forward in a way that's actually crushing you. So how do we help that part? You know? So, um, yeah, it's just getting to know, like, what are those barriers? Right. And being on that person's team, being connected and, and going like, yeah, it's okay to, it's okay to fail. Like if you feel ready to try this, like if you don't make that deadline or whatever, like Mm -hmm. I get it, we'll we'll try again next time and there isn't going to be like punishment and judgment you know so some of those pieces and it's probably so different person to person too right and so yeah that's where the connection the relationship yeah you can't make a i think track record is important too i find Mm -hmm. in my my personal experience like you say if i've built the connection then they give me more room to come in and and Mm -hmm. work with them yeah it even goes back to the whole body keeping score thing too as if i've only had like trust for you and yeah. you've given me good opportunities yeah. and I've succeeded or I've not been punished when I yeah. fail. Like I trust in a way that's just so much more than mental. Like I feel. But see, ironically safe. though, that's what is anxiety inducing for me. Cause I don't want to break that trust. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, by pushing too much. Yeah. Oh, by no, no, pushing by pushing too much. much. Look, like if I, if I understand that this person is really leaning on me and fortunately and, and thankfully, but also unfortunately, I get a lot of people leaning on me because mm-hmm. of my position as mm-hmm. a pastor and stuff like that. Mm. But so then I can actually be brought into that anxiety with them sometimes, I find. Um, and I need to work on it myself. Um, but one of the things I find is, okay, I built this trust. I've spent years on building this relationship and connection. I don't want to push too far so that I hurt the trust mm-hmm. that I have. So it's almost like it's an irony. Such a fine line. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a, so I'm like, oh man, what if I lose this person and and like, I, like I'm always second guessing. Yeah. Um, so then I've asked a few counselors because I'm really like just absolutely curious about how how I can serve better. Um, and very very similar lines, right? Um, mm-hmm. Communication. Yeah. So that's one thing I learned. I ask now, especially if there is a good relationship, I would ask, "Hey, how are you feeling today? Are you tired? Are you ready for a little bit of um, my perspective? It might not mm-hmm. be the right perspective." But do you want an alternative perspective? Or if you're fine, yeah, let's pass. that permission. Um, mm. So then oftentimes they would actually tell me how they're really feeling, if there is a connection, like you say. Yeah. Um, otherwise, they might feel the pressure to say yes because their pastor is asking. Mm. And I don't want that, right? Totally. I want an honest answer. That's the only reason I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, it's 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 that line. It's 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 always hard for me, and sometimes I get mm. um, compassion fatigue if I'm drawn in a lot of these situations. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure you like in a much greater way, um, <laughs> but even for me, it's like okay, how far do I go? And the whole boundaries book that was really popular in the last decade, it just kind of goes out the window if it's your mom, or yeah. your spouse, mm-hmm. or or your daughter, or someone that close. <laughs> Um, it kind of goes out the window. Like it's, it, I still do believe, yes, there's good boundaries. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's not as easy it's as not as reading easy. a book and mm-hmm. applying when it's your wife or your husband or your dad or whatever. Right. So yeah, it gets very difficult. And sometimes like boundaries is a whole other topic, obviously, but sometimes <laughs> setting a healthy boundary actually creates distance. Like yeah. ideally anxiety, our boundaries yeah. bring us together, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> I work a, a lot with clients around boundaries and like, it's, it's so tough. And so yeah. sometimes it's easier to stay in maybe like a codependent relationship or yeah. a relationship where you're just the pleasing person always giving yeah. in because it's just not safe to set a boundary or, yeah. you know, you don't 
yeah, that's that's a really tough line. But I think I like what you were saying of just like transparency with people of like, hey, you know what? I really am here for your growth. I I am a little nervous that I'm going to push too far. And I just want you to know that. I don't want to break that trust, but like if I if you feel like I'm pushing mm-hmm. too far, call me on it. Yeah, yeah. Right. I say that to clients all the time. It's like mm-hmm. I'm not a perfect counselor. I mm-hmm. might not always say the perfect mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. but I want you to know that this is a place where I welcome your feedback. Yeah, yeah. I want to be here for your mm-hmm. growth, but I don't always know exactly what that yeah. is. And mm-hmm. so if there's something that I did that didn't feel great or that I did that felt really good, you want to do, you know, more of that, that's good. Yeah. Let me know. Give me that feedback. Like yeah. I'm here to have those conversations yeah. with. So I think just having that transparency, transparency mm-hmm. and approachability yeah. is probably yeah. really helpful. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to end today just by uh, linking it all back to our faith as Christians. Mm-hmm. And Paul, I know you mentioned before that you want to talk about a passage in Matthew, but there's also a passage in Philippians that says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God." Um, And I was just thinking about this, and obviously it's truth. Obviously it's beautiful. Obviously we have that access and relationship to God through Jesus and through prayer. But as Christians, how do we reconcile both our need and reliance on God and how he is enough and all sustaining, but also then on this reality of being humans in a broken world and having the gift of counselors and people Mm -hmm. trained in this? How do we hold both at once? Because I know that there's so many different opinions, especially Mm -hmm. within the the Christian circle, on how we are to deal with this. So uh, maybe Paul, you want start please yeah <laughs> I think it's it's one of those things where it's really simple from mm. a theory um, perspective and then really difficult to actually Literally. play that out yeah. <laughs> um, it's simple in the sense that um, it's just like breaking a leg right now that science is advanced enough and you know a lot of studies have been done in trauma body memory and all yeah. this I think it's very um, convincing for us to believe that our brain is a part of our body. Yeah. So when we say mental health and stuff like that, well, it's not a physical illness. Well, it kind of is a physical illness yeah, um, because is. brain yeah. is still a part of our physical body. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So I, I think we treat it as thus. Um, when we have cancer diagnosis, um, we most people find it foolish to say we're not going to go see a doctor. Mm-hmm. We're just going to pray. Um, I think most of us now, I know at, at some point of our Christian faith, uh, churches used to do that. Like, we just need to pray. We don't need to go to doctor. Now, I think most of us are agreed that, hey, let's go see a doctor. Let's do everything that God has given us in a in a material world way, like that mm-hmm. to help our, our, our recovery. Let's do that and pray. Let's mm-hmm. not choose one or the other. And I think with um, anxiety, it's exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but historically, I think we've abused this a little bit more. So a lot of pastors have said, if you have depression, you're not praying enough. You got to pray more. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of people who've come to me and with a lot of hurt mm-hmm. saying, my previous pastor just told me to pray more. I just, so I prayed more and I'm still going through depression. So what's wrong with me now? So it's this place of shame and not mm-hmm. doing enough. And like you said earlier, Chelsea, like that's one of the things that's the irony of this. When you're in that, it's actually not helpful. Um, so how do we speak gospel truth that you're loved as you are, that there's nothing like quote unquote wrong with you. Mm -hmm. There's growth available. There's, there's like newness of life to enjoy in God and God can lead us to it, but there's nothing wrong with us that God won't love us because of our failures or illnesses. Mm -hmm. Right. We would never say a person who can't walk isn't loved as much as a person who can walk. Mm -hmm. Um, So we shouldn't say it or, or treat it like that differently. Mm -hmm. Now that's all theory. Right. But I think in practice, it's harder because we haven't had experience with it that much. Mm. Um, I remember I I, I love NBA and basketball and stuff and sports. Athletes are talking about this more in the tennis world, hockey world, Mm. um, basketball world, all athletes, because athletes traditionally, at least in the West, 
had to keep up this like macho and and nothing's wrong with me tough it out we got to battle through it And, and now it's like wait we we do a job that's more pressure filled than anything. Mm-hmm. Tens of thousands of people watching me th- throw one ball in the air and seeing if it goes in or not. As silly as that sounds, <laughs> and I know, and, and that could determine uh, literally your your contract for next year. That could be a swing of fifty million dollars. Mm-hmm. So like it's all up to that one moment. And and for those athletes going through anxiety disorder, how do you cope with it? Now people are starting to talk about it more, but the league doesn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Because no experience yet. And I think it's similar theologically. Do not be anxious like in Matthew 6. Doesn't mean if you have anxiety disorder, you should feel ashamed. (laughs) This is is the furthest from the truth from that. Mm, That's beautiful. What God is actually promising is he is promising a world that is unbroken. Uh, We say this all the time, right? Where there is no cancer. And yes, where there is no more anxiety. But that's not yet. Mm. How do we help one another experience the already part of the hope of heaven? Mm-hmm. And that is a long journey. And that is uh, in the context of a broken world where we will have anxiety, where we will have cancer, where we will have death. Um, but in light of that brokenness, we can still have life. Mm-hmm. So how do we experience that? Now, that is a completely more difficult <laughs> uh, thing for us to mm-hmm. learn throughout the rest of our lives. Yeah. But that's the beauty of it. God is promising to journey with us in it for the rest of our lives, Mm -hmm. that he wouldn't abandon us in it. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why I think sometimes we abuse texts like that to Mm -hmm. shame people. But no scripture was ever written to shame people. Mm -hmm. It was written so that we would be lifted out of our shame and saved by Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So everything, even the discipline verses Mm -hmm. (laughs) where we need to have it convict us, the ultimate goal isn't for us to lie in shame. It It is to get up. And follow after Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's the goal, not, not, not to shame people who are already down and out, yeah. right? And it's it's a it's a practice that I think you know we can practice of like, like ca- what is the verse that's like cast all your cares on yes. on Him mm-hmm. or yeah. He cares for you, yes. right? Like, I think, um, you know, it's one thing to sort of Christianese just be like, oh, just give it to God. Like yeah. that can feel so like pat and so yeah. like trite, right? But mm-hmm. it's like. I think that this is probably one of my favorite things to do in counseling is actually getting to work with Christians or people in ministry where like they feel like there actually is a block between them and God. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. I don't actually know God that way. And it's, you know, very often it's actually a part of them that has maybe been abused by the church Mm -hmm. or has some really unhelpful beliefs that aren't biblical, but have been preached as biblical. Um, And when we bring awareness, love, compassion, you know, truth into that part in a felt way, that part can step back. And I've had such beautiful sessions with clients where they've been able to like, Mm. in a spiritual Mm. way, actually invite a connection with God. And I think that that's what God ultimately wants is that relationship, true relationship with us, right? True, deep connection. And like, you know, inviting in like, God, I invite in your peace and I want to sit and like feel it. Right. And like when we do that, when we open up a safe space, whether it's through prayer counseling or whatever, people really can experience it on a physical level. Right. It's not just this head thing, because I think often we do a lot with our heads in Christianity or a lot of people approach Christianity from a very rational, logical way, which is fantastic. Like it stands up to that. But it also stands up to being a physically felt Spirit, Yes. Mm. Right? And so yeah. I think there's I, opportunity for that. I absolutely think so. I think some people will, will cringe at this and they'll have a hard time <laughs> processing this. But think about it this way. There's mental health in the Bible. 
not in the lingo that we use currently in, in your field, like not necessarily, um, but we have it in the way that the Old Testament and New Testament people experienced it. And that's always the case, right? They didn't understand um, science the way that we, like they didn't have telescopes, but they talked about stars, Yeah. right? And, and I think that's the case. They used anointing oil to heal. They didn't have some of the surgery processes that we, we have now. Um, but they still talked about it and, and had it in a way that they understood in the time. And mental health is exactly the same. If you mm-hmm. look at King Saul, are you telling me that there was no mental health element to mm. what he go- had <laughs> gone through? Uh, even David in his Psalms, mm-hmm. do you not see a man crying out? Anxious, yes. anxious. Yeah. God, my enemies are yeah. like coming at me yeah, on all sides. Like, yeah, and he says some really mean things like, like wipe away all the children and everything of my enemies, right? Yeah. Like, like if you take that out of context, how did this make the list of the all-time hymns, right? Psalms, right? Um, This isn't theologically true if you isolate it, but this is David's honest cry in his moment of anger, frustration, anxiety. But then he brings it before God. And I think that's why it made it to the Psalms in the Holy Scripture that's inspired Mm -hmm. by God, because God is asking us to come and lay all of your parts, emotions, um, your frustrations, everything down before me mm-hmm. and, and come with me, journey with me. I will, I'll, I'll help you through it. I'll never abandon you. But I, I think Jesus, as much as it, I think we all, we would all agree that he experienced physical pain when he was nailed and whipped and all that stuff. Um, but could it be that in Gethsemane that he experienced anxiety? Right. Mm-hmm. Now people freak yeah. out because they go like, well, Jesus is God. He, he knew how this is going to end. How could he possibly feel, <laughs> sense yeah. anxiety? But it's like, wait, if we're saying that this, if the premise is that this is a physical matter, the brain, if the brain is still a part of the physical body, then you could imagine then he experienced, voluntarily came and put on flesh and experienced the pain and struggles that humans do. Mm -hmm. So he not only experienced the pain of him being pierced, he also experienced the emotional pain Mm -hmm. that shot triggers up his brain, because he had a brain, I believe, um, of betrayal from his closest friends. Right? Anxiety about what was going to happen. Yeah. His father abandoning him. My father, why have you forsaken mm-hmm. me? Right. In those mm-hmm. words, I think we get a glimpse into how fully human God was, mm-hmm. how fully human Jesus was and how fully divine he was. And I think to not uh, give up the humanity of Christ as much as the divinity of Christ, we have to accept that Jesus voluntarily put on flesh and experienced that level of anguish and pain, mm-hmm. not just the piercing. And I'm not saying the piercing isn't enough. Piercing is probably really painful. But I think he also endured emotional and mental pain mm-hmm. as well. And I think that's why, theologically speaking, mental health shouldn't be anything that we skirt around yeah. as, as as Christ followers. Yeah. It's something that we should really embrace as as believers who believe that God created our bodies to be good, to help with mm-hmm. um, everything, including the brokenness that we navigate through. And I think to learn more about it would equip us to be better at serving other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, absolutely. so that's my desire for our church family, mm-hmm. that we would, we would be well-educated in it and seek out more knowledge and more information, more wisdom, mm-hmm. and help other people help ourselves and serve the church well mm-hmm. and serve the world well. Absolutely. I love that. And you know what I've been thinking as you've been sharing that is like, yeah, God experienced all of that and no doubt like intense Mm -hmm. anguish and anxiety. We know that. And he was still perfect. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. like talk about no shame and all this. These are normal things that we experience and it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you less of a believer or less of a human being. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I remember this kind of ties a little bit in with, with boundaries, but I remember talking to a client about how like 
because I think a lot of people, but specifically women, Mm -hmm. specifically women who are Christians, who Mm -hmm. are supposed to be, you know, good and pleasing (laughs) and serving and all of that really struggle with boundaries, really struggle Mm -hmm. with saying like no and making somebody else have to bear more weight or like be uncomfortable or, you know, feel, we don't want to feel like we've let somebody down. And I was sharing with her, like, did Jesus care about making people angry when he said no? No. Did he try to please everybody all the time? No. Mm. Right? Like, and yet he was still perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so cool. His example of uh, for us is so real yeah. sometimes of like, it's yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Mm. Right? Yeah. Mm. And and obviously we can talk about this topic forever because it is a, a topic that I'm, I think all three of us yeah, clearly are definitely. very um, interested in, invested in. And, but uh, we're going to have to have you again sometime. Love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, <laughs> be great. We would. But before we end, we got to do a draft. Yes. We said we would do a draft. Yes. Yeah. So how are we going to do this, Mary? Okay. <laughs> well, um... I remember listening. There was one podcast episode that I listened yes. to about rest. Yes. And you guys did your, your draft on places that you'd like to travel. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. And yes. that was fun. Mary. Uh... Okay. So for our draft this time, we wanted to be really on on um, on brand. So we're going to be <laughs> drafting movies that acknowledge or deal with mental health struggles. Um, I personally had kind of a really hard time coming up with movies for this, but I did a little bit of research and... Yeah, so did you have any thoughts on this before we start? I know you were sharing with me that you did have some thoughts on this <laughs> in general. Well, I think, yeah, you you texted me before this, and you were like, are you having trouble? And I'm like, well, kind of. Like, I can yeah. think of a lot mm-hmm. of movies that, you know, portray mental health. Yeah. Um, but what I was struggling with is, like, some of them portray it really well. Yeah. Some of them portray it so terribly. And I think, yeah. you know, we can go on either side, and, yeah. like, I'm happy for us to throw out ones yeah, that definitely. are like, oh, I thought this was a terrible depiction, yeah. yes. but... What was interesting to me, and I think what I shared to you before this was like when I I just Googled it to see like, well, what comes up when I Google movies that portray mental health? So many of them were like horror movies or war movies, you know, dealing with PTSD PTSD and things like that. But a lot of them like really extreme suspense thrillers. And I was like, oh, like that's an interesting just the fact that I Google that and that's what I get. Like, yeah. does that tell us something about yeah. some if you have of mental that health? Stigma? Your life must be a horror movie. You yeah. must be a sociopath, <laughs> yeah. who, or you yeah. must be a you know. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. very interesting. Or yeah, I think I think well, we we like doing this for fun and for a little bit of uh, levity in our you know sometimes mm-hmm. heavy and deep conversations. But um, we and I also like movies. I'm a literature geek and and movie geek, so I love doing these. But. I struggle too because there's not. Hmm. You're right. There's not many movies that portray it really well. But we should have you back for Chelsea. We should have you back for a episode where I don't know if you ever watch these kind of YouTube shows where an expert mm. comes on. Yeah, I was and, talking to her about this. Yeah, does commentary on oh, like, yeah. Yeah, 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 like yeah. all the movies and it's like yeah, how yeah. horrible they do it or how realistically they yes. portray a counseling yeah. session, yeah. a scene from a movie that's uh, that has yeah. counseling in it. Yeah, for uh, sure. I think oh, that would be fun. Yeah, actually, I thought about that. I'm like, oh, like we were doing mental health, but a lot of those things came to mind for me of, of counseling and how it's yeah. portrayed in different yes. movies. And I'm, Usually my husband and I sit there and we'll be watching a scene. He comes up and he looks at me and he goes, you know, you you can tell he's looking for that commentary. I'm like, oh, no, this is completely unrealistic. Or actually, that's not I didn't mind what that counselor said there, but I'm very quite. uh, So so on that note, without any further ado, we're going to do, I think, four rounds. Okay. Oh, four rounds. Okay. Let's go for it. Paul told me that today. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully that's okay. So we're going to do four rounds and we do it. I can't remember what it's called. Snake. 
snake yeah. style. So yeah. it'll, we'll start. <laughs> we'll start with you. We snake background. So you'll go. I'll go. Paul will go. Then Paul will start again. And we'll go back this way. Okay. Yeah. So it's okay. like a you'll snake go. draft format. So like, you get the first pick of the first round, and then Mary, and then me, yes. and then the second round starts with me, and then goes yeah. this way, and then it always alternates. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Sounds great. Okay. So you get the first pick. Okay. So I, after a lot of thought. Um, I think this one's a TV show, and you said we can include TV yes, shows. Yes, yes, I did. yes. You're recording this, right? Yes. Okay. Um, so I think upon all the different ones that came to mind for me, the TV show This Is Us. Oh, This mm. Is Us. Came I've to heard me. good things about this show. Yeah. And so this one I felt was probably one of the better portrayals of mental health that mm. I've ever seen and okay. what oh, wow. I love like there are quite a few have you guys seen the show I no. have we just finished Phil and I oh, really? we just okay. finished oh, okay. I haven't finished so no spoilers okay, okay. But, <laughs> um, but it's just beautiful because there are quite a few characters in the show that struggle in their own ways okay. with like hmm. depression or with you know real struggles with body image or mm. um, addiction comes yeah. up right yeah. and yeah. it's just it feels so real yeah. and visceral and tangible, mm-hmm. but also within the realm of possibility. Like yeah, I yeah. look at that and I go, oh, yeah, yeah. like that's yeah. that's my average person that's sitting in my office. That's yeah. like a real human being struggling yeah. with depression, like Toby's depression. When you see yes. he's a great, normal, functioning, amazing human. And then yeah. he hits a depressive episode and we see like the drastic shift yeah. where he can't get out of bed. And like, mm. you know, he's really struggling. He really wants to. And so I just felt like there are so many like um I guess characters in the yeah. show that that show depict mental health in in a really beautiful way. Yeah, okay. yeah, I like that pick. I was I was told by quite a few people in our church, you need to watch this. It's, it's funny how so many people in our church think I need to watch this. <laughs> you <things."> have like, <laughs> to stop everything you're doing. Stop watch raising your show. kids. Watch it the show. Change your life. Apparently, yeah. apparently. But I'm glad that there's a positive review. I do want to watch it now. Okay, my first pick is going to be. Inside Out. Inside oh, Out. I like animated it. movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think I like how they broke it down for kids. I mm-hmm. like that we're normalizing big emotions. I like that we're talking about like anger and sadness as mm-hmm. core emotions that don't necessarily have to be negative, but it's what you do with them mm-hmm. that matters. And there's fun colors, so I also enjoyed that. Yeah, I love <laughs> she that. loves the colors in that movie. I do love the colors in that movie. <laughs> it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, it is. It is. And I would say my only critique of that movie is that... Um, like I said at the beginning, parts of us can have any emotion. Yes. So it's not just like we have a mad part yeah. inside yes. that only ever feels yeah. mad. It's yeah. like all parts of us can feel mad in different yeah. situations. And so I think that's the only thing. But I Fair. actually do have these little figurines in my office when I work with kids. And I have I have anger and I have sadness. Are they blue, red, green? Have, and yeah, they're all the colors. They're all the characters. My kids love them. I like how we talked about it when we did the uh, we did an episode on animated films. We drafted oh. animated films. Um, and I like the idea that... Um, was, that one was Pixar, right? Inside Out? Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I was happy to see an animation tackle, like, emotions. Yeah, and and yeah, actually, yeah. like, um, because it used to be just kind of a fairy tale type of a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And, and not as deep as, oh, like, let's talk about emotions. So yeah. I like the attempt. I thought that was a cool. Mm, I like I that one. Good one. For, for my first round pick, third pick of the first round, I'm going to choose a relatively recent one, uh, A Man Called Otto. So yeah. this movie came out last year, 2022, but it was actually originally a Swedish um, novel hmm. in 2012. And it was made into a movie, I think, in like 2013 or 15, somewhere around there. So it's actually not a new movie. It's just new in English. Hmm. And because Tom Hanks is in it, it obviously was a lot more uh, famous. Um, I went to watch it in the theater with uh, a friend and my wife, Sarah. Um, 
and it was weird. I chose it as my first round pick only because a it's a good movie and it's got great acting, um, but also it 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 paints depression and anxiety and and those social in in a in a comedy. This is technically mm-hmm. a comedy. Hmm. So they like what you said, Chelsea. I feel like all of these other ones are like just you know horror movies and stuff, but they try to depict it in a real real way mm. and even though it's fiction it's a novel um, at the end there's this very comedic family that moves in as neighbors who ends up saving his life because he was suicidal but um, um, without knowing really yeah just by being hilariously broken <laughs> and and fun and kind right I love that and, and it's actually like such and, and the lady who who's the actor there or actress there is she's amazing she does a great job acting there but it's just like a great human story Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. of a person who helps and contributes to other people's lives even though he's feeling suicidal and and lack of purpose and depression is really huge in his life right now he actually comes to help this neighbor uh, to the point where they become such good friends that when he does eventually pass away I won't give away um, the whole (laughs) movie but but uh, there's a beautiful ending where they're they're basically family yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the reasons what made me think of this movie first, because it, it was portrayed in such a beautiful way. Yeah. yeah. That so. I think as you're describing that, I remember seeing a preview for that one. So I'll yeah. have to put that on my watch list. Please do. I think you'll you'll quite enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. And it just as a movie itself, I think it's a good movie. Um, a Man Called Otto. So I get the second round first pick as well, uh, since this is a snake format. And I'm going to do a movie that I don't think either of you would have put on the list. It's called Temple Grandin. It was from no, 2010. I've heard of it, but I yeah. haven't seen it. So when I did my Bachelor of Education program at UBC, um, it was a video that they showed as uh, they called it at the time special needs uh, support teacher kind of class. Mm-hmm. I think now the school districts call it diverse needs. Uh, so this was a movie about a woman. Temple Grand is a, a, a real um, historical figure. Uh, well, actually, no, <laughs> it's weird to say that. She's still alive, I think. Um, but <laughs> she um, is an activist, I guess, if you, if you will, for autism. For people with autism. Mm. So she actually has a PhD, super, super smart woman. But during her days, she was bullied a bit because she was, quote unquote, different. Um, and at that time in the 60s and 70s, people didn't understand, um, not everyone, but some people didn't understand how to how to um, be in a community with people with autism. Mm. So then it, it highlights some of the struggles of her, but also her mother, um, mm. trying to find a place for her daughter in, in this world. And one of the scenes, so I know it's not anxiety per se, but one of the scenes she has is um, she goes into her, I think it's her university dorm, and she builds for herself this chute where she um, pulls a rope and it tightens. Mm. And it's it's called, uh, uh, what does she call it? Compression? Yeah, it, it is. It, that's the logic, mm. but I forgot what she called it. There's a name there. Mm. So later she, she becomes a, she has a PhD degree from uh, for livestock care and like, the most humane way to um, treat oh, yeah. animals, and she actually uses the same thing that calmed her down when she hmm. when her anxiety got out of control. I've heard of this. The, sh- the shoot that she invented for herself, she creates for cows and other yeah. other livestock to calm them down when they go into moments of trauma. So it was, it's, it's, that's, that's that one scene really um, mm. stuck with me, and that's why I wanted to choose it for my my draft because I was like, oh wow, that one scene is so powerful in the way mm. that people didn't understand what she was doing. So in that time, clearly, 60s and 70s, they thought this was like a sexual machine. Mm. Hmm. So they wanted to get her expelled from school. Hmm. 
Wow. And so she had to fight and do scientific research to prove this is actually helpful for people who are going through anxiety, mm -hmm. which very little studies were done at the time, apparently. Wow. Yeah. And so she had to actually uh, advocate yeah. for a device that she created to help her calm down, which mm. fascinating. Anyways, great movie as well. Okay. Oh, that's so great. My second pick is going to be um, The Joker. Oh. The one with, what's his name? Heath Ledger? Yeah. No. No. Oh. No. The, the new one. What's his oh. name? Oh. Um, Phoenix. Something Phoenix. Yeah, Joaquin. Joaquin? Yes, Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so my disclaimer is this is a horror movie. So <laughs> it, it's terrifying. I do not recommend watching it necessarily <laughs> because it's probably the most terrifying movie I've ever seen. But it really affected me. It, it scared me. I think I got in the car and cried after just because it's quite graphic. But the way that it's written is it keeps flashing back to his childhood and to his trauma. Mm -hmm. And you've got this window into why, and even though he's doing the most horrible things mm -hmm. to people, you feel this weird compassion yeah. and you get this understanding almost in a way, like this really specific understanding of like, and confusion of how can someone doing something so horrific also deserve this much compassion and understanding mm. and so I came away and I said to Phil like why did you make me see that I'm completely traumatized and I hate you for it but at the same time is one of the best movies in the fact that like it really affected me it, mm -hmm. it touched me and it challenged me and it gave me compassion in a way that I hadn't before or even thought that was possible so that's why I'm choosing it not necessarily because I want everyone to watch it but because it it was just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I, used to, I used to tell my high school students um, when I was teaching writing, uh, one of the best stories that you can write is a story where the reader uh, sympathizes with the protagonist mm. and the antagonist, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's when you know you wrote a good story. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. As you were talking, it made me think of a, a movie that I'm like, okay, well, I'll throw that on there then. Um, because it totally touched me in the same way was um, Wolverine. You oh know, yes, the like the X Men yes, stories, yes, yes, and then yes. I think it's the one just called Wolverine, the standalone one, yeah, the standalone yeah. one. And yeah. I also saw that in the theaters. And actually, personal share, <laughs> I was heavily triggered. Mm. I've never experienced that before, yeah. but I I actually got up out of the movie theater and went to the oh, bathroom okay. and was like having symptoms of like hmm. panic because mm -hmm. it was. It, there's like kids in the movie that are being like yeah. tortured and things like yeah. that. That's like yeah. a huge trigger yeah, for me. Yeah. And so it was just like, it, it actually triggered anxiety in me and yeah. I was having a hard time just like staying present because yeah, but beautiful, like the Wolverine story, right? Like mm. you see, I mean, such evident PTSD, right? Where he's gone through these horrific things as an adult um, and sort of become who he is and he, it made him stronger. Like there's a whole beautiful metaphor yeah. there. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's neat when you get to see the flashbacks of like, okay, yeah. this is what happened to him yeah. and this is why he is the way he is. And, um, I think that that is something that as a counselor, I feel very blessed mm -hmm. that I get to walk with people and get those windows into mm -hmm. where they came from and how they are the way they are. And like, you know, working with clients that maybe other people would be like, oh, that's disgusting, right? That's mm -hmm. their first reaction. How can you? And yet when you sit with someone and you really you know, can come to that understanding yeah. and compassion. It's like you can hold space for anything mm -hmm. when yeah. you can really understand the why. And there's usually a why. There's yeah. always a why. Yeah. yeah. Right. There so is. yeah. And you're you get you get the next pick as well. Okay. Well third round. I am gonna choose the aviator. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that. There's that, so many oh. movies I haven't seen. It's a little bit older though. It's so. older, yeah. yeah. A lot of the movies I was thinking about were a lot older, but um I have a little 
a little secret love for Leonardo DiCaprio. So a lot of my movies have been... It's no longer secret now. It's not secret. Everybody knows. Um, But it's based on a true story as well. Um, And so it's a quite an extreme depiction of um, obsessive compulsive personality yeah. disorder, right? So yeah. not just OCD where like somebody maybe struggles with like yeah. one compulsion, but like mm. his whole personality, you know, is disrupted by yeah. this disorder. And over time, it just sort of eats him alive essentially. Yeah. And he yeah. becomes a recluse and is, yeah, yeah it's depression and depression. Yeah. And yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's fascinating, mm. especially because, you know, it's, you know, yeah. based and it's on good acting story. too. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. excellent. Yeah. yeah. So it's a good one. Oh, I like it. Okay, my third pick is also a TV show. It Ooh. is WandaVision, oh, one of yeah. the newer Marvel shows. Mm. And it depicts her struggle with um, PTSD. Yes. I, I'm sure there's a number of other things she's struggling with, yeah. but that's the main one that I sort of recognize. Um, and the interesting thing is, well, this is a bit of a spoiler if you haven't seen it, so <laughs> turn this off now if you don't <laughs> want to hear it, but I have to say it. But she pretty much builds an entire world, like a fictional world, in order to protect herself and hide herself from the reality that happened yeah. in her trauma. And it's just absolutely fascinating. It's a really cleverly written show, and it they, they don't let you know what's actually going on until like the very end, and then you realize the length and the extremes that she went to just so she didn't have to face the realities mm-hmm. that her actual life yeah. was. I know it's based on a comic book character and stuff, but yeah. I think it's like a literary masterpiece. Yeah, and Marvel's like, actually doing a lot of yeah. this nowadays. Because mm-hmm. like it's so creative in the way that they actually tell the story. Yeah. It's a yeah, it's it's epic. Yeah. Um, That's wonderful. How do you spell that? Wanda Vision. Yeah. Wanda Vision. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But one yeah. word. One yeah. word. Yeah. Wanda Vision. Really yeah. good. Really cool. Wow. Um, it's really it, it's, it, it's hit or miss for some people though, because yeah. if they if they can't follow the story because it's I know, so it's creatively so told. It's so weird. It's yeah. so weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I loved it. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. No good pick. All good picks. Um, so for my third round pick, I'm going to choose. Um, well. Since I chose kind of like more serious um, kind of movies too, I'm going to go with a comic book as well, just like you guys. I'm going to do Iron Man 3. Uh, Out of all the Avengers ones, I think this is the most obvious one that deals with um, Tony Stark, Iron Man's Mm. um, PTSD, but also just anxiety and and just the sense of guilt even. Um, Mm -hmm. So he, he, he goes through a lot to the point where there's a scene where he actually is on the ground. I think it was snowing that day and he's just on the ground and can't, get back up and he's just mm-hmm. crawling and then this little boy his kind of partner in crime um comes along and helps him up and like not just literally in that moment but figuratively throughout the rest of the story that boy kind of becomes a spark for him mm-hmm. um so again similar to a man called Otto, it's beautiful to see community around them that could help people get back up and move forward mm-hmm. and, and how a realistic portrayal that is even in a fictional movie oh so. that's beautiful yeah, and if anyone's winning, I think Paul's winning on this draft next year. <laughs> no, no, no. I haven't won a draft yet. I want to win. I haven't either. So <laughs> we're, not, we're not on any good uh, track record here. But um, the other one is Batman Begins. Another. Hmm. Um, oh, I was thinking about that one too. Yeah. Because yeah. um, he, he loses, obviously, um, in all Batman movies, um, he loses his parents. And that becomes that moment, like Chelsea, you talked about, right? The trauma. That moment of trauma that mm. he, the character Bruce Wayne, needs to. Um, learn how to navigate through. Mm -hmm. And even though he's a billionaire and he's got all the, from the outside looking in, he's got everything he needs, um, there's this emptiness and it's portrayed by his empty house, this giant mansion Mm -hmm. with just him Mm -hmm. and Alfred. And so I think it's a kind of um, classic representation of, you know, trauma being dealt with. And then um, he uses, he tries to channel that to good, Mm -hmm. right? To do good. 
becomes his greatest strength right and like he has that experience in the with the bats right like same thing with spider-man right he has like a bad experience with the spider and that actually becomes his strength which is really interesting yeah 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 Yeah. mary your fourth okay my final pick is the king's speech classic and though it doesn't address it necessarily particular particularly as a mental health issue I think you do see that because of his speech impediment, like he has a lot of social anxiety or a lot of anxiety surrounding speaking in public and how that affects him and his family and his relationships and all those different things. And I didn't rewatch it before this, so I don't remember everything about it. But I, yeah, I remember enjoying the multifacetedness of his life and what he had to overcome. Mm -hmm. Very good one. Yeah. And you have the last pick. My last pick. I'm going to go with a classic here. Okay. Goodwill Hunting. Oh, yes. Mm. I haven't seen that. Okay. <laughs> so, oh. so caveat for all of our Christian uh, viewers and listeners, that, that has a lot of profanity. So if you, <laughs> if you can't take profanity, that oh. will be a hard one to watch. Forgive me. Yeah. I haven't watched that one in so many years. And I yeah. can't... I, couldn't even classify for you like the specific mental health that I think Matt Damon is dealing with. But yeah. I think what stuck out to me, like why yeah. I mention it... Um, is just because it's such a beautiful depiction of um, like Robin Williams coming alongside yeah. mm. somebody that everybody else, probably oppositional defiant disorder yeah. was a yeah. part of that. Yeah. Um, everybody else was just like hands in the air, like whatever, yeah. we can't handle this kid. And just such a beautiful depiction of building rapport, being yeah. that person to just walk alongside, come alongside and like accept the, the struggling yeah. individual mm-hmm. exactly as they are yeah. and how that is sort of the catalyst for yeah. for healing and change yeah. and, so. and knowing what how um, Robin Williams also personally struggled with depression and things like that mm-hmm. kind of makes yeah. that movie even more special in that mm-hmm. sense um, and I I, <laughs> I had a difficult childhood as well and mm-hmm. delinquent so I would say I had a teacher like that Miss mm-hmm. um, Eisner is her name my English lit teacher is the only reason why I majored in English lit um, oh. And shout out to Ms. Eisner and David Thompson. <laughs> so she was great. But the, um, the the only difference would be I was not a genius like Matt Damon's character there. <laughs> so that would be the difference. I don't know about that, but, Paul. Uh, <laughs> okay, so any honorable mentions though? Um, I had another Marvel show on there, Moon Knight, and that Moon one oh, okay. um, really uh, highlights dissociative identity disorder. Actually, oh, okay. Um, but that's the only other one I had on my list. Chelsea, mm-hmm. I had a couple. DID ones mm-hmm. didn't mention, but because they're all very varied depictions. But like yeah. Split, which I have not seen because oh, it looks I've like a scary this. one. It does yeah. look I can't scary. handle that kind of suspense. <laughs> yeah. Probably a really like horrific depiction. Yeah. Um, Sybil is like one uh, of the earliest, earliest okay. movies about that, which I'd say yeah. is I've only seen parts of it probably in my like undergrad psych classes, mm. but um, very interesting. And then a comedic um, yeah. representation is called The United States of Terra. Oh, and uh, yeah, I don't know even where you'd find that show now. But it <laughs> it's funny. I okay. mean, it's it's quite a like drastic. Like you see yes. the parts of her like dressed up differently, talking differently, and whatever. But it's uh, it's quite entertaining. That's cool. I don't know how realistic. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um, I had some other stuff like Avengers, Age of Ultron, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Top Gun, and and Saving Private Ryan, but more Top Gun. That's classic PTSD stuff. PTSD stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. and then Rayman. Um, in Canto, I left it for you because you said you were struggling, so I, I thought know. you would use it. Oh, I know you but I pulled it together. Because yeah. yeah. that, that song, right? Like, uh, pressure like a drip, drip, drip. Like, yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, whole yeah, older yeah, sister yeah. in that movie. I've heard that that's a good one for yeah. some of those yeah. layers. I haven't seen yeah. it. We actually did a whole yeah. podcast on Encanto. Yeah. So yeah. I'm surprised yeah. I completely it's, forgot yeah. about it. Yeah. You didn't it. It's, I did. It's not, and, and Elsa, Frozen. Elsa and Anna deal with the mm. death of their 
parents in mm. two very different ways, right? Mm, and Elsa literally uh, shuts everyone out because yeah, she feels yeah, yeah, that yeah. this was her fault. Mm. Um, so, mm. yeah, even in like children's movies, yeah. you see um, real portrayals of how humans can struggle with yeah. Um, yeah. traumas and, and anxiety and yeah. body memory and all of that. Yeah. I actually think you could look at almost any movie yeah. and, and start Find to something. like, and I think that's what I do with my little yeah. counseling filter all the time. Yeah. And again, I'll watch movies with my husband and I'm like, I'm psychoanalyzing them. I'm like, oh yeah, there's that and that. And that's obviously affecting them this way. Like, cause it is, it's all around us, right? Yeah. It is so normal. Don't and, worry. Uh, you're just really into your job. I, I, pray, I pray for some of these characters. So so for listeners, let me read the list for everyone so they can vote which uh, draft they thought, which team they thought was the yeah. best um, for this draft. Yeah, so Chelsea, our guest, um, had the show This Is Us and the movie Wolverine, The Aviator, and Goodwill Hunting. And Mary had Inside Out, The Joker, WandaVision, and The King's Speech. And I had A Man Called Otto, Temple Grandin, Iron Man 3 and Batman, which should have been in Canto, but Mary didn't do it. <laughs> oh, it's my fault, isn't <laughs> yes. it? But, however, I think all three uh, teams are fantastic. Yeah. Um, mostly great movies, couple things you should probably not watch if you think it'll trigger you, like yeah, Wolverine yeah. and Joker <laughs> yeah. and maybe Go Hunting yeah. as well. But um, otherwise, really, really good movies. Mm-hmm. But I think this is why... Um, anxiety and mental health is such an easy topic for us to go on and on about and talk yeah. about because it is present everywhere yeah. and it's mm-hmm. in movies it's in our real lives and I think it's just good for us to mm-hmm. talk about it learn yeah. about it yeah. and try to help each other in it Yeah. so, mm-hmm. so Chelsea thank you so much mm-hmm. for being here thanks for talking about this with us thanks for having fun with us we hope to have you back sometime I'd love that it would be fantastic yeah and for our listeners we hope that this has been encouraging and informative for you um, and yeah, just let us know if you have any more questions or anything about it. Paul and I are always here to talk more about these episodes. And and yeah, don't forget to vote on Instagram when we post our teams on there. Thank you for listening. <laughs>